Hello, welcome to Plan Dulce, a podcast from the Latinos in Planning Division uh, focused on bringing attention to the issues affecting the Latin community and the topics that affect us both as individuals and as a collective. Today, we are so thrilled to have two candidates running for APA uh, director positions, Edna and Sylvia, and the Latinos in Planning uh, Division is endorsing them. For a full list, please visit the APA website. And elections are open through August 20th, so you'll be able to cast uh, your vote. So just a quick overview uh, of who our amazing guests are. Edna Ledesma is an assistant professor in the Department of Planning and Landscape Architecture at the University of Wisconsin-Madison where he directs the Kaufman Lab for the study and design of food systems and marketplaces. The corpus of her research, teaching and mentoring focuses on understanding the development of the smart, green and just 21st century city. Her work seeks to bridge the gap between communities and city governments to help define the planning and design agency of Latinos, a traditionally underrepresented group. So very important work. And we also have Silvia Vargas. Sylvia is a professional planner with more than 28 years of experience, which is truly amazing. Um, in her practice of planning, she always strives to increase understanding of the value of the profession, to raise the bar of civic discourse, and to empower stakeholders to claim ownership in the community planning and plan implementation processes. Currently, Sylvia is a principal planner in the Miami office of Calvin Giordano and Associates, where she works on a variety of long range and current planning projects, as well as providing creative public engagement for South Florida communities. We are so excited to have you both. And we just wanna you know, give you a warm welcome. And to everybody who is listening, I, we're thrilled to have you as well. So Leonor, if you wanna start off, yeah, con mucho orgullo te presentamos a Silvia y Edna. So with the first question is, okay, Edna, where are you in the United States? Or not? <laughs> I am in the U.S. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for putting this together to all of you. I'm so proud of LAP and so proud of our community, and I'm very honored to be here. Um, currently, I, I live in Madison, Wisconsin, but um, as Wes mentioned, I'm a professor, and so I'm, I travel around in the summer, and I'm currently in Texas. Um, I'm visiting my parents. I'm in, on the border in Brownsville. And Silvio, where are you now? Well, as you heard, I'm, I'm based in Miami, and I have been here for many, many years. Um, I, I came to the U.S. as a student from Costa Rica, so um, the U.S. is my second home. I've uh, been here now longer than I actually lived in my own country because I came here at 18, and you, you can probably see how old I am now. Yeah. But um, um, from Miami, I, I love it here because I can go to Latin America, I can be in, in, in my home country in two and a half hours and travel from our internet airport, which is the gateway to the Americas and pretty much the gateway to the world. Uh, so right now I'm here um, until my husband finishes the semester. He's teaching summer. He's a professor too. And he finishes we're probably going to go to Costa Rica and then we're also going to go to Kansas which is where he we both went to school uh, to visit some friends there. Wow what a packed summer you're going to have. Um, so 
we we know that COVID has um, impacted all of our lives. And so, um, Sylvia, how has, um, what's been your experiences with COVID so far? Yeah, um, I gotta say that to me, the whole experience has been um, very surprising. Uh, in terms of the work, we actually didn't miss a beat, uh, which was pretty extraordinary. We pivoted immediately with the technology. I was already working several days a week from home. And before I joined this firm, I used to work for another firm where uh, their base was in Philadelphia and I was here in Miami and I was working from home. I did that for about eight years with a team up in Philadelphia, traveling up there and traveling all over the Southeast, uh, which is where I did the majority of my projects. So um, as far as, as that went, the transition was very, very smooth and the work continued. I think the challenge that, that I had was with some of my clients to help them make the shift to uh, virtual public engagement. Some of them just could not envision it. And, uh, you know, I, I, um, I worked a little, a little hard to convince them that it was possible because I had done, I had done it before as a consultant working remotely. And, um, and I, had, I had done a lot of virtual engagement as part of you know, an overall engagement program. But for the most part, we were able to pivot um, immediately. Um, personal life-wise, um, I guess, you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of feeling the impacts more now than at the beginning because I continue to work um, from home quite a bit. And I, I feel like I've grown into a little bit of a hermit. I try not to go out too much. And, you know, you may have seen some news that Florida is not doing that great uh, right now with COVID cases surging again. So um, I'm feeling like, you know, I, I don't want to step foot outside my house if I can, <laughs> which makes me uh, feel very sort of introverted right now. Um, but, you know, here in South Florida, if you go out and that's probably part of the problem, um, our communities are for the most part back to a certain form of normalcy. Um, so it, sometimes when, when I do go out into the world, it, it feels a little surreal, to be honest. Um, so yeah, that's my experience. <laughs> and so Edna, I know that you're teaching and, and you did teach last year. So can you tell us a little bit about what that's been like? Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree with Sylvia. I had a very similar experience where things sort of happened really fast, but we, were, we thankfully had access to the technology and the, the resources at the university to be able to make that transition immediately into virtual learning environments. I um, was teaching in person last spring when we went into, we went into lockdown and then essentially finished out the semester online. Um, and in the fall, I was planning a, a, an engaged, I teach applied planning studios, and it was an interdisciplinary studio with landscape architecture. We we're working with a community out in Milwaukee to design, help them um, inform and update for a comprehensive plan of a, of a community north of, of the downtown. Um, and at the, at the center of that community was a farmer's market. A lot of my work is working with, with markets, mercados, flea markets, swap meets, 
and farmers markets. And so it was a great project. I was super excited. It was gonna be my first project in Milwaukee. A lot of my work has been in Texas and California. Um, and then, you know, the big curveball of like, you plan these things months and months advance. The partnership was set in December of 2019 and then COVID hit. And so um, thankfully there was already a, another partnership built up with Esri who actually, we got to pilot some of their virtual engagement technology. And so it actually facilitated a lot of our work. Um, I would say the biggest impact, we had a really successful studio. It was the first time that in my department that landscape architecture students worked in studio with planners. So that was a really great success. Um, the project was recently awarded um, a planning award from the Wisconsin ASLA chapter. Um, and it's 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 the model that I that I work with. It's the model that I think is the future and what we see in practice collaboration. Um, but I think the biggest challenge, I think for all of us and just what I saw in the classroom is so much fracturing um, related to mental health, right? Like we all wanted to keep working. We wanted to keep pushing, but at the end of the day, you know, working in this little environment at the, you know, it fractures people. And so coming in every day to class and saying, is everyone okay? And knowing that people were not okay was really hard. And then getting the emails of students saying, you know, I can't, you know, I want to give it my all, but I can't. So I think, you know, as a, as a society, we're, we're having to come to terms with, you know, what are our boundaries and how much we need to just do a lot more nurturing of each other and taking care of our community. Um, and, and that can be said too from the other side, right? The communities we engage with, um, they're, you know, we, we ask them to come and give their input, but at the end of the day, you know, everyone's been having to balance a lot. But I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm very much a glass half full person. Um, and so I'm, I'm optimistic that we, we've had to dive deep into the pool. Um, and, you know, we're not going to we're not going to sink. We're helping each other out. So if, if I may, could I add just something that and that just made me think about because, you know, I, as I mentioned at the beginning, my husband is is, is a, a college professor, too. He's he's a chemist. So it's a very different kind of environment. But, you know, um, I think that one of the reckonings that we've had through this period that I noticed, particularly with students, has been um, the digital divide, uh, right? Because uh, resources are, are, are very different. Um, colleges are not all able to provide the same kinds of resources to the students for them to be able to work remotely. Uh, we've seen that. Um, I've, I've seen it, you know, this is the first time that I actually have been able to observe my husband and his teaching here at home. Uh, now he's teaching hybrid. Um, and, and also what, what you just said about mental health, because, you know, I've also heard my husband talk a lot more about sort of the decline of, of active engagement by the students. You know, they're not asking as many questions. They're not, they're very passive. They hide behind, you know, their, their little black screens, you don't know what's going on with them. So yeah, I think that that's really, really um, sort of stark um, coming through this period. It, and it struck me quite a bit, uh, even though I'm not in that world, you know. No, no, that that's actually good to hear. Um, I know from a disability community, uh, the accessibility issues have been a big challenge, but we in the disability community, uh, find this very engaging because we're so used to it. We're used to being always, you know, having the issues of technology and not being at the table. And then to kind of see it flip around, you know, being able to have meetings at home and be able to participate 
it has really changed, I think, the dialogue and the framework. And so it, it's also good to hear that there are also mental health issues now being talked about. And right. so, you know, the silent disabilities are, are being put behind closed doors. And so, um, you know, it's got its good, you know, COVID had its good and it's got its pluses, you know, and minuses. But I, I, I kind of want to transition and I, and I want to know a little bit more about you. And so we, you know, here, or me especially, I, I love food. So I'm going to ask you. <laughs> oh, it's true. I, I really do. Uh, so what is the, you know, what is the one childhood memory that you have that revolves around food? So um, can you tell us a little bit about that? You want to? kick it off and I can, I can start I can start because it's something that I've, I've never let go of I think it speaks to my my plan the planner in me so I remember when we were little uh, we know every, every time you go to the grocery store you're like mom can I have this can I have this can I have this and your mom's like no pick one thing and I always wanted to get a yogurt I loved yogurt like a little like the little cup of yogurt but I would always come home and I didn't want to eat it I wanted to save it I was planning for the future right so I, I would go home and I remember one time I was like, I'm going to put it in the back of the fridge. So my brother, I have an older sister and a younger brother. So I'd go hide it in the fridge because I wanted to save mine. They ate it in the car, right? They were like, oh, we got yogurt. This is great. So I would I'd go. I remember one time I went home, we went home and I put it in the back of the fridge. I was very meticulous about hiding it behind the lettuce and the whatever. And I came like a couple of days later to look for it. It was gone. They had seen that I hid my yogurt and my brother and my sister like planned it. And then I questioned it, questioned them. They're like, oh yeah. My sister was like, I went and got up Jerry in the morning and like we went and ate it. <laughs> they had a plan, but, um, but it's just like, that's just my personality. I'm, I'm very, just like, I, I'm very. You're a planner. Planner, yeah. And also very like systematic. I'm like, this isn't for now. So I'm going to save it for later. It didn't work out. It, you know, that's just life. Well, so, for me, um, I think that all of the memories that I associate with food in childhood have to do with family because I had a, a big, big family on both sides. And so, you know, the Sunday lunches, um, the uh, los tés, the las tías. Uh, at home, you know, where all my all my aunts would come and they would sit down at the long table with the 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 best setup, you know, the best the cutlery, the best everything, silverware. And I would hide under the table and listen to them have these long conversations that I half of it I didn't understand, but they've they stuck with me because they all revolved around family stories that I still remember very clearly, even though I had no idea at the time. And possibly another story that I can tell you is a very indelible, um, going to my, my paternal grandmother's house on Saturday afternoons um, and um, my, my, my paternal grandparents were campesinos and they had a beautiful, you know, sort of, country house, if you will, uh, the, the, the adobe, uh, so, so mud walls, um, like this, this thick. And in the kitchen, they had, you know, they had an electric stove, but in the back, they had the old wood stove. And it had a little drawer beneath. And, you know, obviously, they were not using that anymore. But this is where they would hide los bizcochos. 
and we, um, the little kids would know that that's where they were. So the first thing that we did was go over there and open the drawer and make sure that we had these coaches. And then we would sit in the patio eating the bizcochos. So uh, that's the, that's the, well, there's many, but that's probably the second uh, most joyful uh, food memory that I have of, of, of my childhood. I love that. <laughs> Iglesia, what about yours? Oh, I was trying to think. Um, yeah, oh, come on. I, it can't be that far long, <laughs> long ago. <laughs> you're yeah. so I actually had a similar experience to Dr. Ledesma. I I would get so excited anytime I went to the grocery store because I I would always try to pick yeah one thing and it was like my thing and I was like so thrilled that, like whenever we got home and we're unpacking the groceries I'm like wait where where did I put it where, in which bag is it which bag is it like I didn't want anybody to take it um so yeah I can definitely relate to that um yeah there's something about like saving it and like almost kind of treasuring it in a sense uh so yeah there's a that connection between food and like grocery store and like going with your mom and the whole kind of dance that you do of like can I get this can I get that so um yeah I guess I'd, I'd yeah I have a similar one as well Wow, this is a fantastic segue to how did you get involved in planning? So Edna? That's a great question because I actually, um, I think Sylvia, you too, I began my career in architecture. Right. And so I, you know, I, I grew up in a household where my mother is a community organizer. She's very active in like um, faith-based community organizing and very engaged in local politics. And my daddy is a contractor. So I kind of feel like I'm a little bit of both of their, their, I embody a little bit of both of their existence. And um, go, growing up around construction sites, I was like, well, I, this, this makes sense. Like I'm very detail oriented. I, I wanted to, you know, grow up and be an architect. So that was my path. And I went to architecture school and in architecture school, towards your junior year, like it's really in like the second half, you do really actually start engaging with issues of, of the city and sort of the urbanistic approach to, to um, design. Um, and that really is what would drew me to planning is the idea that, you know, we are in cities and, and, and societies where we're here to help one another. The humanist approach to architecture was missing. And really where I found it was in planning. And I really kind of stumbled into it through a series of mentors that were incredibly um, important in my life and sort of shaping me and, and showing me the way towards research, eventually going into um, teaching and, and research. Um, but really it was, it was this idea that I, I really do fundamentally believe that design matters, but it doesn't matter if you're not engaging with human needs and you're not actually understanding how it's gonna impact communities. Uh, and so, I, I mean, I teach design in planning courses. And so I, that's, my, that's my goal is to try to connect both worlds. Um, but there's a lot more to be done. But I do feel very proud of the work that um, APA has been doing to really address equity and talk about the realities of our built environment and the marginalization of communities of color to try to develop better plans and be, be more um, aware of the impact that these sort of higher structures have in communities um, that a lot of people don't realize how much they impact their life until it's, it's, you know, it's a little too late. Um, so it's, that's, that's my mission is try to try to connect both worlds. And Sylvia. Well, um, I almost feel like I have very little to add because <laughs> Edna's uh, story is, is, is very similar to mine. 
up to the point where she went into academia. Um, I also come from a, um, a home where both of my parents were, um, they were both public servants. They worked in government. My father was an attorney, but you know, he always um, said to me that if when he was growing up, there had been some of the choices that I had in front of me, he would have taken a completely different path. Uh, he was in public administration. He was uh, involved in politics. Both my parents were very active politically and, um, and, and always in public service. And I don't know how I got it into my head that what I wanted to do was be an architect, but at seven, at seven years of age, that's what I decided. That's what I knew. And that's what I worked for. And when the time came and I, I came to the U.S. to um, to study, that's what the intent was. And um, when I started my third year, I, 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 I was starting to feel a little lost uh, because I felt like my interests were different when I approached projects than most of my classmates. And I thought there was something wrong with me. <laughs> Um, but it became somewhat of an existential crisis at some point when I went into my fourth year and uh, I really didn't feel fully supported in, 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 in that pursuit or in that sort of exploration um, by some of the professors that I had because their focus was so much narrower. Uh, but I did have a very good advisor who, after listening to me crying <laughs> um, a number of times over my my angst um, revealed the world of planning to me. I had no idea. I come from Latin America where planning as a profession is still fairly novel. Uh, architects do urban design, they do planning, they do almost everything that you can think of, which, which is perhaps the reason why I decided that I wanted to do that. Um, but, you know, um, thanks to my mentor, I, I kind of fell accidentally into urban planning. And once I took my first class, everything seemed to click. Everything made sense. Everything was happy in the world again. And um, it was certainly meant to be my, my path. Uh, so, yeah. So with that said, what are some words of wisdom that you received before going on your planning journey? I know, Sylvia, for you, you know, it was this existential crisis that may have pivoted you into a different direction. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give potential, you know, urban planners and even urban planners now that are having, you know, self-doubt with everything that's happening in the world? What, yeah. what advice would you give us? Well, you know, as, as it happens, I get to mentor a lot of students now, um, both uh, who are already sort of in the path um, to become planners. And thanks to uh, a network of friends who are in allied professions, I also get to do it for students in architecture and other allied professions as well. Um, when they sort of seem to be straddling uh, a line between, you know, our, their, their chosen path and something else, and they're not sure, you know. And I always tell them to keep an open mind, you know, and don't don't tie yourselves yourselves to your own expectations that you created, because sometimes it's it's just, you know, 
as planners, we kind of like to have everything sort of clear and, and laid out, right? Like like the yogurt that we put in the back of the refrigerator. But but sometimes allowing for the unexpected to happen is the best thing that can happen to you. And uh, just kind of keep your yourself open to those opportunities. Don't be afraid to say yes to those opportunities, even if it's scary or if you think that you're not going to know what to do. Um, I, I think that would be, you know, because and, and I say this because to be honest, for me to switch from architecture, which I did, I, I in my fourth year in the middle of my fourth year, I decided that I was going to switch to planning and I went into an accelerated planning um, undergraduate degree so that I could get into the master's program as quickly as possible. And I was lucky because, you know, I had all the credits behind me that, you know, I could transfer into and take like one or two semesters more and, and, and finish the, um, the, the undergraduate degree. But for years, I berated myself for failing, you know, for failing in pursuing, you know, in completing that goal that I had set for myself to actually be an architect or become an architect. And it took a lot of maturity, a lot of maturing, rather, uh, in my career to sort of let that go, even though I was so happy doing what I was doing um, after becoming a planner, I still had this thing in the back of my mind that I have failed. And, and I think part of it was because I was so set on that for all of my years until, you know, that time when it came to you know, the moment of making that decision. Um, and I still couldn't let it go. Uh, so I, I, that's why, you know, I say staying open is, is, is the best advice that I would give somebody like myself uh, today. Edna, I see you shaking your head. I know that you're agreeing. I totally agree. I, I, I would say that's probably something that we need to hear more of right the, the the recognition that it's okay that things change our new opportunities comes i love that you said also be okay with saying yes i think as women we're told oh, say yeah. no say no protect your time but i think you also need to be recognized that when you're asked it's because your voice is going to be it's going to be heard and i think that's really important um i would say that my my biggest advice to people that i've um that are sort of entering the profession or just I think any Latino, Latina, Chicano, Chicana, um, minority individual within our field, my big advice is to just don't forget who you are. And it's okay to, um, to empower your identity with your work. Yeah. And I can say that in the context of um, um, my experience coming in, you know, I, I, we moved to this country when I was very little, I was seven. Um, and so I, you know, it's the idea that we all come with very multicultural, multidimensional identities, right? I'm Mexicana and I'm American. I don't have an accent and I speak fluent Spanish. It's my first language, but I still can never be perfect in either, right? So it's like, I'm always trying to please everyone. And the thing that I struggled with in developing my research is that, you know, I didn't want to be the Latina planner. Mm. I wanted to be the girl you know, as an American, I was like, I want to go to Brooklyn. Like, I want to go study New York. I want to go study X, Y, Z, these sort of bigger American cities. And then looking for funding, you know, when I, when I came back with, no, you're not going to get funded, it was very disheartening. And my mentor sat me down and said, who are you? You're Edna, 
you're from the Valley, you're a Mexican, you're American, and you're an architect who wants to be a planner. You're trying to get a planning degree. So what do all those things mean? Don't forget that you're an architect, even though you may not be practicing architecture, you still have that training. How can that inform your planning research? If you're from the Valley, why aren't you telling the story of the Valley? Why aren't you doing research on the Valley? Why are you running away from who you are? And I think that for a lot of us, it's hard to say, you know, I don't wanna be pigeonholed and it's not being pigeonholed. I think recognizing that you can tell a story like nobody else can, right? Sylvia can tell a story like nobody else can of Latin America, of Miami, of that transition between design and planning, right? We all come from very different contexts. And so if you're put in a position where you can share that story, embrace your identity and that's like we don't none of us come with one identity we all come with very very different packages and trying to blend all those things is really important yeah i i agree especially as we try to and we try to promote the understanding that as latinos we are a lot of different things not just one monolithic thing right um so that that goes for each of us as individuals and for you know, the world, the multifaceted world that we each of us carry within ourselves. I agree. Interesting. Edna, there's also, I, I want to do, an, you know, also another layer for those planners that are thinking about going into academia. We know that academia and being female is tough. Being Latina, first generation, very, very tough, right? Um, and so any words of wisdom there? I would say, you know, I think that as planners, we always focus on the big picture. Um, but sometimes I think the best thing you can do, you know, if I, if I had told myself that, you know, back when I was 18, that you're going to be in school for the next 13 years of your life, I would have been like, you're crazy. You're crazy. That's not, that's not going to happen. Right. You, you can't sometimes looking at the big picture can be overwhelming, so just embrace the short milestones. Like I finished the semester and I'm going home. I'm done. Take a break. Decompress. Go eat pan dulce. Go be with mommy and papi and eat the tamales and don't think about school. Because if I had, and I've told this to people, if I had listened to individuals, I've, I've, I've been given a lot and I want to do the same for others. I've been given so much and so many opportunities. But I've also been in situations where I'm sitting in a room and I'm told, no, this isn't for you. So if I had listened to that one person and it was one of many, I wouldn't be here. So accept a no and walk away and go, go knock at another door. So, and I think that's the biggest advice I can give people that it's don't get disheartened by a no, you'll find another opportunity. And that's what, you know, I think Sylvia's advice is like at the end of the day, it might not be the way you planned it, but it'll work out, but just don't give up. So Sylvia, what, do you envision for yourself in the next year? You know, personally and professionally. <laughs> Boy, that is a tough question. Um, <clears throat> right now, it's very, very busy at work. Um, it, not just for me, for everyone in my group, for everyone in our firm. And I think generally, at least, you know, here in South Florida, we're finding that that's the case. And I've heard from others elsewhere that it seems to, it seems to be a very busy time, which is kind of the opposite that we thought was going to happen. 
uh, last year when this started and maybe, you know, maybe we just miscalculated the timelines and, you know, who knows what could happen, you know, but um, I think over the next six months, I'm just going to try to get over this terrible <laughs> camel hump uh, that I'm on um, of, of just um, overwhelming work and stress. Um, and come to a quiet moment if I can, because it feels like the last six months have been uh, nonstop. I don't like having moments, uh, not having moments to of quiet thinking and thinking about the big picture. You know, it feels like everything that I'm doing right now is a lot about putting out fires on a daily basis, and uh, and that doesn't lend itself to the thing that really fulfills me, which is thinking about thinking about planning as a as a profession how to advance thinking on planning um, so i'm hoping that maybe by the end of this year i will have the opportunity to do that more and to be able to have a little bit more control over the kind of work that i'm doing um, and on a on a personal well, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess one thing is really tied to the other because, you know, the stress that I feel that I'm under right now is not really good for my health, um, mental or physical. So I'm hoping that, you know, with everything control on the work side, I'm also going to be able to get some other things under control. But, you know, I'm at a point where I'm not old enough to retire, but I'm starting to, to, to think longingly of that moment and starting to plan a little bit about what that might look like when it happens. Um, so maybe next year, by the time my birthday comes around, I'm going to be doing a little bit more planning about that. Okay. <laughs> um, probably not what we want to hear, but you know. No, listen, I mean, if I retire, I'm going to be able to devote all my time to volunteering at APA, which is what I really love to do. All right. So, so no, I, I actually like hearing that because I think as a mentor, you know, and I, I, there are very few Latinos, Latinas, you know, that are mentors and are able to give back and to be able to provide a pathway. And I think that's, you know, good to hear that you're going to continue doing that more. And so Edna, <laughs> with the school year, uh, three more weeks away or four, you know, what's on the horizon for you? And also what research projects do you have kind of, you know, going forward? Yeah, well, I'll just make a quick note to Sylvia. I think, you know, Sylvia and I have been in, in, in collaboration in different capacities. I think the last year we've become like all of us have become very, um, active on Zoom calls, but I so look forward to when we can reconnect, you know, in person at the national conferences, at the state conferences, you know, at, you know, um, Leonor, at, you know, at the different academic conferences, you know, the last time I ran into you, I was about to move to Wisconsin and I'm like, yep. I'm here, it's two years later, right? So I think, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a people person. I thrive on social interaction. Um, and I can't wait to do that again, to be able to hop on the plane and go meet my friends from all over, all over the place. In the very immediate future is the beginning of the new academic year. I actually am very fortunate that this year, prior to COVID, this is something that was um, in my 
in my pipeline since I came to Wisconsin, I have a fellowship. And so I actually won't be teaching for the next year. So it kind of worked out that like this transition year of back to in-person, I won't be around for it. I will be in Wisconsin. I do have some committee um, and, and kind of on-campus obligations, but I won't be teaching. So I will really be focusing primarily on my research um, my, the co-director of the lab, who's now, he's not going to be chair, and you know him very well, Dr. Alfonso Morales, he's mm -hmm. the chair of our department, so I'm really excited because he's a wonderful mentor. He is a pioneer in doing research Latino and doing research for the last 20 years on markets, and so I've, I'm kind of inheriting um, a lot of what he built, the foundation of that lab, and thinking of new directions and how to bring in more geospatial work, more design into it. Uh, into our, our research and that's really exciting. The other project I have in the pipeline that I worked on this summer, which I I find really exciting in that it's a very different um, area of, of focus, um, working with the planning department here in Brownsville on a telehealth plan. So I'm working with medical doctors and thinking about the digital divide, how to um, better connect communities post COVID and just in general, as we advance into a more tech driven um, infrastructure, um, how does that impact communities of color, specifically Latinos down here? So that's really exciting. Um, and then on my personal side, um, I got engaged during the pandemic. So I actually am getting married in a few months. So that's also been fun to be, um, I think the pandemic realizing just like, life could be could end any second and I'm, I'm i'm a workaholic like many of us are and so it really helped me kind of put into perspective how to how to balance my life in a way that makes sense he, my fiance is also an academic so <laughs> we keep each other busy with <laughs> nerdy stuff um but that's that's been nice and so so yeah I, I'm, I'm it's it's been a very difficult time. Thankfully, I've I I had family that had COVID, but you know people survived. But I know others that have lost many. So I feel like I've come out of this um, with a great perspective on just how to value what we do and the value of planning is really important and just the value of keeping our communities together. So I'm excited for the year ahead. Felicitaciones. Gracias. <laughs> so um, two more questions before we end. So is there anything that you would like to add that I've not asked, um, Grecia hasn't asked anything <laughs> this time. No, I've just been listening and I'm, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just very inspired by you all's words um, and everything you've shared. And I can, I, I wanted to say something to, um, something we were talking on, uh, talking about earlier about like saying yes. And I feel like there's a balance of like the yeses and the nos. And for me, at least it's been like, okay, being more, um, like really thinking about the things that I do say yes to and having those be things that I actually want to do as, and I'm curious about, and I'm curious about learning more about, as opposed to saying yes to the things I feel I have to say yes to. Uh, so that's been hard, uh, cause you know, like imposter syndrome kicks in and it's like, well, who am I to like say no, or, you know, I should be taking every opportunity I have, but like, you have to be mindful. You only have so much time, so much energy. So being very, uh, intentional about the things that you say yes to, um, and you know, is that gonna really bring you closer to like your bigger goals and like, or, you know, just kind of 
I don't know, just having honest conversations with yourself. Um, so anyway, that's that's my take on it. But yeah, everything you all right. said really resonated. Yeah. <laughs> so anything you'd like to add? No, I think that that uh, what Grecia just said is 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 really wise, actually. You know, because when you're young, you wanna you wanna sort of take every opportunity that comes, uh, and uh, and you know, at some point you realize that you can say no and you can be more strategic. But at the same time, I think it really depends on 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 your own temperament, your personality, your ability to manage your time as well. You know, I mean, I've always been a really curious person. I guess it's one of the reasons when I was in college, I had all these um, electives that, you know, I just, I just couldn't get enough of electives and fields that had nothing to do with what I was really, you know, um, focusing on because I was like, I was like, like the, you know, that, um, cartoon where the dog sees the squirrel, right? It was like, oh, squirrel, squirrel. Um, Astronomy, yes, you know, geography, sure, you know, French, of course, you know. Um, And I found a use for all of these things in in my life on and on. But, you know, as a professional and also particularly, I think, since last year, I do find myself being more selective, you know, and trying to make sure that I balance my participation in things, especially if I feel that there may be a little bit of tokenism, you know, and that's a really hard decision to make sometimes because, you know, I often find that, you know, if I'm the first person or the only person that is being asked to do something, is it, you know, is, is it a negative thing that I'm the first Latino or Latina, or is it actually a good thing that I'm going to be able to break some walls down for others? Um, that's, that's one of the places where I always have trouble, you know, uh, not trouble, but, you know, have more, a harder time figuring out whether I should say no or not. Um, but, you know, um, yeah, I think I think with with age comes more the ability to make those choices for sure. Edna, any? I would say just sort of last minute closing or last closing statements. I just want to say that as the former chair of Latinos and Planning Division, I came in and and this goes to Grecia probably more. But I came in. I was a student. You know, I was you know I was a I was in the beginning of my PhD. And my mentor had been very active with LAP when it was founded. And she said, this is a community that you need to be a part of. And I, you know, I, I was there, I, you know, before we, when we had conference calls, we'd call in and we didn't have Zoom. <laughs> um, we'd call into the conference call every month. And I would, you know, I, I felt very honored to be, to be included. And just, you know, I gave it, you know, I would, I would got involved with committees, et cetera, et cetera. And I think just the growth, I'm so proud of Vidal. You know, Vidal is awesome. Vidal has been with LAP for over a decade. And he has really, really over the last year, I mean, COVID really impacted and and really, I think it, it facilitated connections more than probably we thought would in that context, right? Divisions are all over the, all members are all over, all over the states. And so the fact that our division membership and mostly our engagement has really um, 
and really surpassed my expectations when I handed the throne over to him and said, you know, good luck. I never thought that the programming, you know, the, the Lugares conference, all of this, the podcast, what you guys have been doing is such great work. And so uh, for all of our members that maybe are watching this, I'm just going to say, you know, you have an opportunity to continue to give our community a positive light. So get involved, just get involved. I was a student, you know, that's how I got involved as a student. And I, and I have been, I have found a wonderful community within LAP and also within divisions and with APA at large. And, you know, I'm, I'm here for, I'm a lifer now. <laughs> I'm committed to continue to, you know, bring, bring light to our community. And I want others, Grecia, all of you, Leonor, um, keep bringing people back, you know, you tell your, your friends at work, like, Hey, do you know about LAP? Join LAP, get involved. Cause it's really important. We're small. I always say we're a small with mighty division. Yes, definitely. And then one last question. Inquiring minds want to know, especially me. Um, if you're going to have churros y chocolate, cause you know, we have to end plan dulce. There we go. There we go. Uh, <laughs> you know, which flavors of churro do you prefer? Oh. Cajeta. Or, or un pique Ooh, con chocolate. Also, so I, so this, maybe, are any of you from California? No. No. Tijuana. Okay. So uh, this is my thing. I've gone to California and in California, nobody puts cajeta in their churro. So I don't know if this is like oh. a... This part of the dulce de leche? Yeah. Dulce de leche. So that's uh, what I would put in it. Well, you know what? That's exactly what I was going to go for because I don't like, I mean, don't kill me, please, but I don't like chocolate. <laughs> and so if I have churros, they usually are rellenos con dulce de leche, que es, you know, cajeta. Um, that's not, you know, how I learned to eat them when I was in Spain for the first time, which is, you know, like, oh my God, churros, but you know, um, yeah, dulce de leche churros is, is, is the way to go for sure for me. Yeah. And I can just, oh, go ahead, sorry. I know, go ahead. But I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to just sort of echo Edna's work. I've been involved with the division on and off. I gotta be honest, you know, there was a time when I kind of felt like it really wasn't for me, perhaps because the context in which I've um, evolved as a planner, you know, being here in, in, in South Florida is such a different experience than working in other Latino communities. You know, it's like, we're, we're it, we're all of it, you know? And our issues are probably not no different than the issues of other um, other communities within South Florida or perhaps in other places um, for, for other uh, ethnic groups or racial groups. And, and so um, I, I felt at a time that perhaps I, I didn't fit in, but I've been extremely impressed um, in the last year or two with the work that is being done uh, within the division. And I just been embracingly enthusiastically because um, it's, it's amazing. So I want to commend you all and also recommend uh, others to join the division because it's, it is a great community. It really is. And Grecia, churros y chocolate. Which I was going to say, 
Yeah, so I'm from Tijuana and I recently uh, went to visit family like two weeks ago. And they like the churro scene has like exploded. They have these like churros in the cup you can get and they put like, you can choose your toppings and they have dulce de leche cajeta. And then they have like, they have like this, this like alcoholic thing you can put on it. I don't know what it is, but you know what I mean? It's a, they have all kinds of toppings now. So I'd recommend if you ever get the chance to go to like Southern California or Tijuana, like give it a chance. Um, but I am just, I love them with ice cream, with vanilla ice cream. Uh, so that's my favorite. Like you dip them in, you know, it's so good. So, and yeah, just echoing what you both have said, um, this has been a very welcoming uh, group and I'm very thankful that I found it. I, I really get so much out of our meetings, like just listening to everybody. Uh, that's like, it kind of just fills me with energy. So uh, yeah, definitely very thankful and we're very welcoming. So if you're thinking, if anybody out there is thinking of joining, uh, we will welcome you with open arms. So happy to have it, have, have anybody who's, who's interested. Yep. So Grecia, what can we expect about future Plan Dulce? And for those of you, and, and just one second, for those of you who will be seeing us, you know, let us know what you think of the, uh, our Zoom background, Planning, you know, Dulce, you know, podcast and, you know, and how we could always, you know, maybe improve with other, you know, uh, dessert items and, you know, let us know. <laughs> so with that sure. said, yeah. Uh, yeah, we are open. We we have a growth mindset, so we're open to feedback. Uh, please let us know. Uh, you can reach us at brandulcepodcast at gmail. And yeah, leave us any comments there. Uh, we hope to have uh, Twitter and maybe Instagram soon, and you can reach us there as well. If we have it before this goes live, we'll put it uh, in the like description box. And yeah, if you would like to... Um, keep in touch uh, with our speakers. They both have social media handles. So Edna, uh, Professor Edna is on Twitter at Edna Ledesma. And then um, Sylvia is at S. Vargas underscore planner. Uh, so yeah, give them a follow because you both have great things going on. So we'd love to, you know, like, please keep us updated. And yeah, uh, as far as future topics go, I mean, we're hope. I mean, there's just so many. There's just so many. From I had mentioned in the trailer, like anything from like health issues affecting our community now, disabilities. Today's the 31st anniversary of the ADA, so definitely bringing more uh, uh, attention to that because it's it's so important and we don't talk about it enough. Um, and transportation, housing, I mean, anything urban planning related and even like mental health, I would love to do one on mental health. So yeah, if you have ideas, again, please email us at podcast at gmail. And yeah, thank you all so much for listening. I, this was so amazing. I had a great time. Uh, I hope that everybody else did too.